0: With Dr. Good evening and welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadid Holakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in: 310-441. Zero five five five. Before I get into the book of the week from this past week, the book for this week is from one of my favorite people, uh, Eric Fromm, To Have or To Be. And I've actually not read this book and it was sent by uh, someone. Um, so I thank you. The only name I had was Bellissima. I don't know what the, uh, the name is, but thank you so much. That's the book To Have or To Be by Eric Fromm. His book, The Art of Loving, might be my favorite book. So I'm very excited to read this and share it with you next week on Monday's show. Uh, The book for this past week that I'll talk about tonight is Possessed, Why We Want More Than We Need by Bruce Hood. Possessed, Why We Want More Than We Need. And on the cover, there is a shopping bag. And this was a very... um, interesting book i highly recommend this one it came out this year actually and is very much related to what we see happening of course not just brand new things but how obsessed and focused we are on owning things having things buying things buying the newest thing um, and how we think it's going to make us happy if we do that we think we're going to feel good but we might feel for good for a brief moment, and then that feeling goes away. Something he touches on, I shouldn't say touches on, talks a lot about in the book, especially near the end. But in the beginning of the book, especially just talks about what ownership is. And we might think it's just black and white, but it actually isn't. That's why there's so much law and lawyers and, and legal disputes that can come up related to ownership. And he shares some interesting stories, like a man who... Uh, I think it was through buying a storage unit, ends up with a barbecue. And when he opens the barbecue, he sees that there is a human foot in there. And it turns out the human foot belonged to someone who was still alive. In a crazy story, his foot had to be amputated, but he decided to keep it and forgot he had put it there. Long story short, now this man has the foot, but the man whose foot it belongs to, even I said belongs to, maybe that's already showing a bias. Um, he wanted it back. But then there was a legal dispute of who owns the foot, even though it's part of his physical body. But if this man now owned it and possession is such a big part of law and the title of the book is Possessed, what does that mean? Who owns the foot? And so he shares some interesting stories like this or of people who had to move from their homes. And sometimes you'll hear about stories where developers are coming in and they are buying homes or buying all the homes in an area to tear them down to build something and how we have certain attachments to things and so things. And it was interesting to see the ways he explained this and how ownership and can reflect so many different things. It can feel so personal because when we own things in a way we feel like they are extensions of ourselves. Part of why we do like to buy things or own things, we feel like they can represent us in certain ways or feel a connection to them. And then also we can feel an emotional connection to things uh, that is usually really not based on anything rational or logical. I think I was trying to say rational and logical together, Um, but is based on more than that, something we feel about the object. And so it was interesting as you shared various stories and insights on how we feel about things, how we determine ownership, why it matters to us so much. And I thought that was quite interesting and how we might think of ownership as something that's universal, that all humans are going to see it the same way, but it's not the case. He shares stories of a hunter-gatherer tribe who um, they do something that they call we can call demand sharing, meaning that if I have shoes and I take them off at the door and I go into my home and now you are leaving, you can just put on those shoes. It's not that you're putting on my shoes. It's that if they're not being used by me and I'm putting them aside, then because I'm not using them, you can use them and there's nothing weird about it or odd. For most of us, I would feel strange if you take off your shoes, you assume they are still somehow your shoes. Those are my shoes. You can't put on my shoes. Those are mine, not yours. But we see that although we might think this is so innate and has to be this way 100%, it's not the case. There can be a feeling that if you're not using it, why not someone else use it? And what's interesting for me is sometimes we'll think of hunter-gatherer tr- tribes uh, as uncivilized. Even sometimes when you say, oh, I was you know hiking or I went for camping and now I'm back in civilization. What we mean is the things that we think of as the modern world of buildings and electricity and the ways we do things. Um, we think that it's more civilized. And so we might think this demand-sharing way of Looking at property, that if I'm not using my shoes or my shirt, you're free to wear it and there's no issues. We might think that's more uncivilized or even barbaric because we're so advanced that we see things, uh, uh, that we view ownership in a certain way. And it's barbaric or uncivilized not to notice that. But I, I was thinking about this as I saw a video someone had posted, apparently, um, a homeless man. Had put money in someone's change so they wouldn't uh, someone's parking meter so they wouldn't get a ticket, and the guy came and gave him the shoes off his own feet, Um, which is nice, very kind act, and it was was nice. Although I always have a response when people videotape stuff like this when they're doing it, they're positive things, they're good things. But anyway, it's complicated. Nonetheless, watching this video, it was very nice the the gesture, but then you think about it. This is outside of what this gentleman had done giving his shoes. But isn't it barbaric the fact that someone can have 10 pairs of shoes and then someone else might have cold feet sitting outside not having shoes? Isn't that more in a way uncivilized or inhumane than the thought that, well, if we have many pairs of shoes and there's feet that need to use them to go outside, why should someone not have those shoes? Or I was thinking before the show, if I'm, it's not so cold yet, but let's say it's cold, I'm going to sleep in my home and there's a man on the street who's cold and I have all this clothes in my closet that's not being used, would it be more civilized for him to have a shirt on his back and also to not be outside is another part of that. But wouldn't that make more sense? So it's interesting seeing that and recognizing that there actually is something more humane about that, more advanced even though we tend to think of quote-unquote civilization as being much more advanced as the ways that a hunter-gatherer might do something. But I think that this is sometimes a little backwards, and maybe at the end of talking about this book, I'll touch on that a little bit more. Um, There's also interesting things about children. I think the author does a lot of research with children and ownership and things like that. Uh, But one thing I thought was interesting, almost all parents try to teach their kids to share. And you hear that a lot. Sharing is caring. And oh no, no, don't, you know, you should share your toys, share things with people when they come over. And this can be a big source of contention between parents and their kids trying to get them to share. Uh, but he talks about how when they're looking at toddlers that they may, they're looking at toddlers when they're in daycare or nursery. And he said that one study showed that toddlers who take objects relatively frequently from their peers have mothers who take things relatively frequently from them conversely those toddlers who offer objects more frequently to their peers have parents who offer things more frequently to them i thought that was so interesting so if you see a, a kid and they are taking kid uh, toys from other kids they're more likely to live in a home where their parents are taking toys from them likewise if they're more likely to share or offer objects to other kids it means They're living in a home where they're more likely to have objects offered to them. I thought that was quite interesting. And yet another sign or uh, indication of how you have to practice what you preach. Or if you really want to teach your kids things, you have to model those things. If you just tell them sharing is good, but you're taking things from them or not showing that type of attitude yourself, they don't learn from your words. They learn much more from their actions. At all ages, we see this, but of course, even more when kids are not very verbal, They're going to only get the actions and very little from the words. So I thought that was quite interesting. Uh, But a lot of the book talks about this rat race we have with having possessions, how we try to get possessions to show status, to feel good about ourselves. or we think if we get certain things, we're going to feel good about ourselves, good about our lives and be happy. And, And he touches on how advertisers use this to their advantage to get us to feel that if we do certain things, we're going to feel good. We're going to be happy if we get certain things when really that's not the case. Or even using celebrity endorsements and even shared a study showing how we feel these connections and attachments to things, inanimate objects, that really should have no effect. For example, they told people that a putter used for golf uh, was owned or used by A winner of a big tournament. And when people were told this, they actually performed better when they were putting than if they were not told this. So just being told that the golf club, the putter that they were using was actually owned and used by a very good golfer who had been successful, made them perform better, which is quite interesting. Um, But he also talks about how there's really more a desire to chase after things. We have this feeling of excitement, of getting something. So the shopping and the ordering and delivering and all those parts sometimes are even more exciting for us than actually getting the thing. And once we get something, we momentarily might feel better, but usually we get used to it. We are on the hedonic treadmill where things that used to excite us or make us feel good become normal, and then we need the next new thing. We need novelty to... To get excited, and speaking of novelty, I'll share a story he talked about in the book related to novelty and sex. Um, there's something called the Coolidge effect, which is that, especially for males, but it could be for females as well, they will get more excited. They'll have a, a spark in their sexual desire when presented with a new female, and we can understand this in an evolutionary perspective that this could be another chance to procreate when there's a new female. If there's one that they have as a partner, they don't have that same excitement because they have already, um, in a way, tried to procreate with that individual. And so the, the name comes from a story, it's not for sure true, but President Coolidge and his wife went to visit a farm, and when his wife was going on the tour, he saw that the rooster was having... Um, sex with the hen and said, how often does he do that? And I think they said, I don't know, a dozen times a day. And apparently she joked, make sure the president hears that when he goes on his tour. And so when the president then was there, they let him know, you know, your wife wanted us to tell you that this rooster has, um, sex maybe 10, 12 times a day. And then he said, is it always with the same hen? And they said, no. And I said, make sure the first lady hears about that. So, um, Not sure if that story is true, but that's where that term comes from, the Coolidge effect. And he applied it not just about sex, but about things that we are always looking for something new. So no matter what you get, we tend to get used to that thing and want something new to then get us excited. And we think that's going to make us happy, but kind of like a drug, it gets us happier, excited for a while, but goes away. Um, He does talk also about the research showing that rather than spending our money on things, We'd be much better off spending our money on experiences to make us happier, to get more out of our money. So having experiences gives us more than just buying things. We get used to the things, but with the experiences, we have the memories, we reflect on them. And when we reflect on them, we actually tend to remember them even better than... What we actually experienced. And so they did some research with families going to Disneyland. And of course, while they were there, a lot of times there was so much stress and waiting in lines and waiting in the heat uh, that they were not so thrilled all, while they were there as much. But when they reflected on it uh, months later, years later, they see it much more positively. And even for me, just you know, this past April, I went to Barcelona and went to a soccer game. And really, it was one of the best nights of my life. I felt it even that night. was so fun the excitement and anytime i still think about it i get a big smile on my face remembering the whole experience of it so i do feel that myself that from experiences we get a lot more than things so that recommendation was made but he does make this argument in the book that i wanted to make sure i concluded on today which is about how we think having things is going to make us happy or being focused on having things is going to make us happy, or even as I was talking about in a different way before, but more advanced to want things, to have things. And he talks about some research that was done in meta-analysis. So a meta-analysis is when um, researchers look at a whole series of studies or try to find every study they can on a topic and combine all the data together to see if something, some relationship, some variable, if it acts in a certain way. So rather than looking just one study where there can be biases, and of course it's a smaller scale, but then combining them, they combine a whole host of studies together. So they, uh, he talks about a study that was done from the University of Essex looking at over 250 independent studies. And what they concluded was a clear, consistent, negative association between a broad array of types of personal well-being And people's belief in and prioritization of materialistic pursuits in life. So there's a negative relationship between our overall well-being, different ways of measuring that, and our belief in and prioritization of materialistic pursuits in life. When we focus on materialism, on having things, of owning things, of having money, having a nice car, house, all those things, we think will make us happy. Even that belief and focus makes us overall unhappy. And I think that's what's so sad about when people focus so much on having things and thinking having money, making money is going to make them happy is Either you don't make it, you don't get the nice things, you don't make the money, and then you feel like a failure and you feel bad, so that way is negative. Then the other side, which is, if you want to call it better or worse, but different and bad, you get those things, but then you realize they don't make you happy, and now you think, well, if I have everything I'm supposed to have to make me happy and I'm unhappy, something's wrong with me, or life is just miserable and bad anyway, and so you feel bad, you lose in that way as well. And he talks about research which has been done Numerous times showing that up until a certain point, money can make you less unhappy because when you don't have money, you'll feel stressed. If you really don't have enough money and you're constantly struggling to pay bills and just to survive, but up until a certain point, after that, it doesn't make a difference. And he talks about the the book uh, concludes with some of his thoughts, which I really enjoyed actually and agreed with a lot. That as technology advances and people sometimes think, well, we're going to be losing a lot of jobs because. AI and technology robots will get to do some of those jobs. What are we going to do? And I think fortunately what this hopefully will open up is more room for people to connect with one another because we might create some very human-like and good robots in the future, but still there will never be a replacement in my eyes, I talked about this a few weeks ago too, of human contact and connection. And we've become accustomed to this idea that there's a 40-hour, 50-hour work week where everyone needs to be working and working in a particular way. But this is just something we've created and maybe people can work differently and work less, but spend more time with one another, spend more time with family. That's something that we can never have enough of if we spend that the right way. And he concludes the book talking about this, uh, hopefully, message that you get from the book that don't strive towards having things and getting things and trying to make money, but try to spend time with loved ones and recognize that that your desire for things and having and owning is never going to make you feel happy, but spending that time with loved ones in good ways will. And so I really agreed with that message and agreed with most of what he talked about in this book, and I really enjoyed it. Again, that was Possessed, Why We Want More Than We Need by Bruce Hood. Going into our first commercial break, we'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air.
1: Hi, um, I'm calling because I needed some advice.
0: Okay. Uh, can you talk a little bit louder, please? We're having oh, a little... Oh,
1: sure, sure. Okay. Um, I've been having this problem for two years, and I kind of needed um, to find a way to help get rid of it.
0: Okay. Sorry, you are having what for two years?
1: Um, I've been having this problem oh, okay. for two years.
0: All right. And how old are you?
1: Oh, I'm 16
0: okay all right go ahead
1: okay so um so just another way and another way of putting this um I'm I get really annoyed and like frustrated by um, other people whispering and just any mouth noises in general mm-hmm. whether it's eating or drinking or just any other soft mouth noises
0: okay and you said it's only been for two years
1: Yes, it's been. Uh, yes, it's been going on for two years. I think this would this would be the third year.
0: Okay. It's, so, and how often is this upsetting you or affecting you?
1: Um, this happens about every day because um, I go to school mm-hmm. and basically all of my classmates would be like whispering and stuff, and like like I can't really do anything about it besides maybe like close my ears. But I definitely get frustrated, and it's getting harder for me to learn in mm-hmm.
0: class yeah because you get just dist- you almost are like you can start to become obsessed with something like this and you try to seek it out or you listen for it and then you can hear it so somewhere
1: like, oh yes like like I, I just try to find any way to get out of it like sometimes like if it gets really bad i'd ask i, I ask to go like to the restroom or like i, I just I, I just have an urge to, get, to find any way to, like, get out of the situation.
0: Hmm. Okay. Now, you're saying it started about two years ago. Did anything in life change around two years ago? Anything you were going through?
1: Um, um, it was whenever I had first started high school. Mm-hmm. But at the time, I wasn't really stressed out. I guess maybe I was nervous because, like, it was the first year of, of high school. Mm-hmm. And it was fairly early on into the year. So maybe it was just that shock, I guess.
0: Okay, so that was the adjustment to high school was a little hard. Uh, but before that, you never had this issue at all.
1: Oh no, yeah. Before this, I did, didn't have the issue at all. Yeah.
0: Okay. How are things at home now and back then?
1: Um. Okay, um. Well, like, like I'll, I'll just say this. Um. Yeah. Um. I'm. I'm more sensitive to um. Like females. Like whispering. Endings more than like males whispering. I don't know like if there's any like I think there might just be a difference in noise. So like um like I'm more sensitive to my mom maybe like if she starts praying or maybe like she's whispering to my dad like I give <laughs> I get annoyed and I kind of feel bad for her but like like you know I, I I ask her to stop or like yeah or um I would start listening to music maybe. And just, yeah, or like, yeah, or like whenever we're at the dinner table and then like, or like, or just whenever we're um, eating breakfast and then my mom's um, drinking tea or something, yeah, I get really, um, like, I get really easily annoyed by that.
0: Hmm. Okay, but so it doesn't make you notice it's more for females than males, but, and your mom could annoy you more than others. How are, How are things between you and your mom?
1: Oh, um, yeah, yeah, oh, we really have a good relationship, yeah, like, like, we're not, like, constantly, like, like, fighting a lot, no, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, like, we have a good relationship, it's just that there's sometimes, like, like, I, like, yeah. Well,
0: I'm not saying you guys are necessarily constantly fighting, but I'm wondering if you guys can get into it, or if she is sometimes too much involved in things in your life, or something like that, is there ever that feeling?
1: Um, um, I, I, Um, I guess. Yes. Like my mom sometimes does get like, like, yeah, I guess she's, she's a little bit of an overbearing mom. Like I didn't, I I, I haven't really found much trouble with that. But yes, yeah, yeah. In a sense, she kind of is.
0: Is she listening to us right now?
1: Oh no, she's in the other room cuz like <laughs> she said she didn't want to make me like anxious or anything.
0: Well, that's just, nice. Okay. But, yeah. I guess that was that it's funny what you just were saying she's overbearing but then here she gave you some space. That's nice. I'm sure yeah, yeah. I'm sure she'll listen later which is fine. Uh just wondering if she was hearing us which is which would be totally okay, but uh, maybe she didn't want to make you nervous. Um okay, so at times you can recognize she's overbearing. Do you have siblings? No. Um no,
1: yeah. You're the only child, okay.
0: Um, Which means uh, sometimes in these situations, you get more of the good from the parents, like their love and attention and things, but sometimes you'll get more of the bad or it all gets put onto you. So if they're, whatever it is, if it's anger or if it's something else, usually it falls all on that one child, which can be tough. So if she is a little overbearing, as you mentioned yourself, it, it could be a lot for you to handle. And then in the teenage years, especially, Usually kids will want more space and sometimes this can be hard for parents. So I don't know, have you felt that that transition has been hard for her to give you that space as a a teenager, as a high schooler?
1: Oh, um, yeah, definitely. Honestly, yeah, because in middle school, I wasn't really allowed to like do anything at all. And then so whenever I went into high school, like, you know, like if all of my friends were going to like go somewhere, or something that was, like, right next to school, and I would ask, like, it would be harder for her to say, like, no than, like, usual, or, like, I would get more upset if my mom would, like, constantly say no, than I would get upset in middle school.
0: You're saying you would get upset if she wouldn't say no, or you're saying she would say no a lot?
1: Oh, you know, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I would get more upset if she would say no, yeah.
0: Okay, so she was saying she wasn't giving you a lot of freedom to hang out with your friends? Yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so... And then now I'm sure at 16 you want even more. Has she been able to give you more space now?
1: Um, Yes. Like, it has um, gotten better very slowly um, over the years, yes. Um, But just in general, I've kind of become a little bit used to, like, not being able to go anywhere on my own and stuff. So it doesn't bother me anymore to the point where I ask her. But, yeah, it's gotten slowly better where my mom trusts me more.
0: Well, I hope she will give you more of that space. And I mean, I see, I feel like you're just trying to accept it because you feel like it's not going to change, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're okay with it or you like it. But maybe you feel like she's not going to budge. And if she's not going to budge, then let me just hold on to that. Because my concern is in what you're talking about, sometimes this feeling of being sensitive to noises and sounds... It can be related to anxiety, but also to anger. And then especially because you're saying it's more females than males, it could be some anger you have towards her that you don't get to express, that you feel like you have to hold in. But then it gets triggered in these ways by these these, these like sounds and things that are going on, whispers and things. And that might be what we're looking at. That's why I wanted you to think about her and your relationship with her, because there could be something there. Oh, yes,
1: yes yeah i understand yeah um
0: yeah yeah i think that could be an option honestly oh. okay yeah. so do you think you you might have some anger even though and now i'm talking to you and i know you're here on the radio talking or what you're calling on the radio so people tend to be a little bit nervous anyway but i feel that you are an anxious person like there's a nervousness
1: um honestly yeah I'm, yeah I, i'm just a generally
0: a pretty anxious person okay which is fine yeah that seems to be the case and and so i think this is triggering some more things And anger and anxiety actually can go together as well but um and even like you know i know your mom had called in saying you wanted to talk which is nice and i don't know if you had asked her did you ask her to call oh
1: um yes okay um, good yes yeah.
0: Okay, good. Yeah, because I just the feeling of you know her calling. I'm glad she gave you that space, but and I know she did call, and so maybe you don't want to say some negative things about her. But do you think there is some anger that you could talk to her about?
1: Um, honestly, um, it's not really anger, but like at times, like I'm not sure why, but like, like, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes, like, I get a little bit annoyed at her for no reason if this makes sense like for example um i don't know like if she starts being like a little bit like sensitive if that makes sense or if it's like 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 for example like um but yeah especially as a, like whenever i was in middle school um like, yeah, a lot of times whenever i saw her like vulnerable side a few times like i got like 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 i would often get really annoyed at her because like like I get mad at her for being like yeah for being for, for being vulnerable at times.
0: You mean like if you saw her crying?
1: Yeah. Yeah, oh. yeah, Basically.
0: Like, what would she be crying about that would make you upset?
1: Um, honestly, it could be really about anything. Like, like mm. maybe at times, like because um yeah, just in general, like like my mom is a little bit of an um overly sensitive person, so a lot of times she could be like crying about my grades. Or maybe like she'd be crying because I slouched, or maybe like just, yeah, or just like because you, like, sorry, just, what like, was the others. second
0: one? You said the grades, but I heard slept.
1: Oh, oh, um, yeah, so, like it could be like, like my grades, and then sometimes I slouch a little bit. Oh, you like, slouch?
0: Oh, uh huh. Yeah. And then she'll get mad at you.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then like, like, yeah, often if she, if, if she got, like, like, yeah, yeah, often if she got, like, yeah, yeah, really mad, yeah, especially in middle school, she's gotten a lot better. but yeah, Especially, like, yeah, in middle school, she'd be a little bit more vulnerable and, like, cry often.
0: Wow, yeah. well, And that, you know, of course she cares about you, but then when she expresses it in such an intense way and sometimes about what might seem like a smaller thing, it can put a lot of pressure on you. And I could see how you didn't want her to cry about those things because it would make you feel bad, like, you're guilty of making her sad or making her feel a certain way and that puts a lot of pressure on you to just not do anything that might upset her so I think you've learned to put away some of your feelings or some things just to make her okay but then that that those feelings don't go away and it's coming out as I think this anger and resentment that you have towards her
1: honestly yeah it might be because um yeah yeah because i um, like 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 the times I've been most like angry at her like we're whenever like like yeah like yeah we're whenever like in those times yeah so whenever i start crying about something like small
0: yeah when she would start crying about something small
1: mm-hmm. yeah
0: i could see that that's tough um and so she's an anxious person too it sounds like and usually anxiety is definitely something that is genetic partially but also we get affected by our, our environment and so you had an anxious mom who also was acting in anxious ways so it I'm sure it contributed to you, you feeling anxious. Uh, but I think this is what we're seeing is the this expression of the sensitivity is a way of expressing this anger that you have, which uh, when I say that, I don't mean this means you and your mom have necessarily a really bad relationship or something horrible Daddy. is going on. But we we always have some feelings that usually we don't express to one another. And usually we think, well, it's okay, or we shouldn't. And also in your case, I think, you probably feel like she can't handle it, so you learn to hold it in, um, but it's not going anywhere. And so that's maybe partially why you're finding yourself where you are now with this specific sensitivity. Now, we're at a commercial break, but I don't want us to wrap up yet. So I'm going to put you on hold, okay. and we'll talk after the break, okay?
1: Okay, sure.
0: All right. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fatty Dulaqui. We will be right back. Come back. Before the break, we're with the caller. Let's go back there now. Caller, are you still there? Yes. Okay. So before the break, we're talking a bit about what you've been going through the past two years, becoming sensitive to sounds from people's mouths, chewing, talking, whispering kind of a thing. But you added the sensitivities more to females, and then you talked about your mom as well. And it does seem like you and her have kind of an intense relationship, that there's a lot there. And so I don't want to put this all on her as if it's her fault that you have this sensitivity, but trying to understand what's going on. It does seem like your relationship with her might be related to this. Also just in general anxiety um, might be related to this as well. So what did you think about over the break about what I'd said so far?
1: Oh um, I just thought that yeah, like yeah, um yeah, yeah, it could definitely be like a reason why like yeah, this was brought up cuz like at, like like at times i mean like yeah like cuz cause, um, cause my ears have been like pretty sharp and i think like maybe like if my mom or, or or like or my dad were like yeah like whispering about maybe even grades or something or like it could have just been easily like like in my family like us like whispering like them whispering about my grades or something, I could like easily get like um get like bothered by that because mm-hmm. I could I, I could still hear them or maybe it was just like 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 I was just scared about my parents being like bothered, like to the point. So yeah,
0: bothered by you?
1: Um, in a way, yes. Um, cause like yeah, it, yeah, cause like like I don't like want to bother my parents mm. in a way, yes. Um, so. Yeah, I guess. Um, yeah, like, like, I, like, I can't really yeah, can't explain this too much, but um, yeah, I, yeah, um, like, since middle school, um, whenever my parents like whisper again about me or my grades or like compare me to somebody, like, I, I always get mad. At, like, yeah, if they like, like, if, if they like, yeah, um, if they like, like, talk behind my back. Yeah, if that makes sense.
0: It does make sense. Yeah, that's what I was. You know, you're saying. People whispering in school might trigger, it, but yeah, when people are whispering at home, it's not a good feeling because it does seem like they're hiding something or something really bad is happening. Or like you said, a feeling of talking behind your back. So I could see how you don't like that uh, feeling that if they're talking, especially if it seems like, it could be about your grades or something like that. And now, even if people in school, obviously they're probably not whispering about you, but it seems like it triggers that feeling. And that's why it might make you so uncomfortable. But was that something that was happening a lot that your mom and dad would be whispering about stuff? And even like while you were in the other room or in the home, and then you would hear um, them?
1: Oh, oh yes, yeah, um, yeah, it would mainly happen if they were like, like mad at me. Mm-hmm. For example, yeah, if I got a bad grade... Or maybe like you know, like yeah, yeah. Once again, I'll bring up like my slouch. Like if I was slouching too much lately, yeah. And they'd be like whispering about me, yeah, like yeah. I, I get bothered by that, but it be yeah. mainly like whenever they were mad at, uh, if, if, whenever they were mad at me. So it wasn't too often.
0: Well, yeah, interesting. It's not that too often. i I hope it was not often at all. But this um, making things such a big deal. Like you're slouching and they have to have a really big secret conversation about it is is a little concerning to me. Like like I was saying before, I think they might not recognize how much pressure they're putting on you. Or if you get a bad grade uh, on a test or even in a whole class for the whole year, um, to make it this thing where you have to whisper and figure out what to do and what's going on uh, is not going to give you a good feeling because there's lots of things The whispering is hiding. It's secretive. It means something really bad is going on. You know, we have to whisper about it, like hurt your grades, like it's some tragedy when really it's not that big of a deal. And I think they're putting much more pressure on you than they realize. And you're feeling that. And I think it makes sense that you don't like that. And I hope you would talk to them about that and that feeling. But I'm concerned about just the feeling in the house. Is one of too much pressure and even in, in talking to you i almost feel like you're pressured like you have pressure on you
1: i see um yeah um honestly yeah that was really how it was um like in middle school and like like early high school but right now i think i don't have as much pressure on me as before like like yeah like once thing like my parents have become a little bit less overbearing and like have been trusting me a little bit more so i've been feeling like less stretched out but yeah like yeah um i still have like like some anxiety there but but just like yeah like um yeah i, I like just in general like i don't know where this really really came from but mm-hmm. um i really have ang- like sometimes anxiety over like like the smallest things or yeah. like you know like i I, just, I i feel anxious like throughout the day i guess
0: yeah i mean i can feel that in talking to you and you said your mom is and it seems like you have that as well and uh, things like The anxiety that you have, definitely there's things you can do to work on it and and it can change, but I don't want you to blame yourself for it because, you know, you say you worry about something that's not a big deal. I don't want you to worry, but I also know that a lot of times these types of worries can be very automatic. So it's like if you walk into a room and you feel a little bit cold it's not like you're choosing to feel cold, it's just how you react. You're just more sensitive to the temperature. And so you might just be more prone to worry about things. And so something relatively minor might for you in that moment feel very big or you might worry about it. And so it's it's worth thinking about trying things like physical exercise can help, meditation can help, but also therapy can be helpful too. To, to talk about things and help deal with things and you're probably never going to be someone who has no anxiety well no one has no anxiety but very very low anxiety but it can become more manageable it can become less and that's what I would want for you so it's not affecting you so much and putting you through so much pain. I see
1: okay. yeah I understand so um, so like like what type of um, physical exercises do you recommend?
0: Well, I mean, just exercise in general can be, I mean, there's nothing negative about it. It's good for your physical health, but also for our mental health, um, for everything just overall, but even just depression and anxiety can be helpful. So it's just something to think about, even just some kind of cardio, whatever you like, but getting active can be good for that. Uh, But then meditation, people can find, can be calming as well. So those are some things personally, and like I said, therapy, but I think it'll be very important to have some conversations with your parents because the feeling I got just from the few things you described is just a lot of pressure and stress and that whispering, it's not a good feeling. And I guess it's less now, which is good, but it's still something that you might want to talk to them about that. That feeling is there that they were, because I just, the, the whole, just the feeling I get thinking about someone whispering about you and some issue, it makes it so, big and major and, and almost like shameful. And I don't think that was a good feeling for them to give you. Um, and I feel like you're carrying a lot more stress and pressure than you need to be, but you've gotten used to it. Kind of like you talked about something in the last segment, we were talking that you're kind of just getting used to it now, but I don't want you to get used to pressure and pain because you might not realize it's there, but it'll be affecting you. And it doesn't have to be there, at least not as strong.
1: I see. Yeah, I understand. Um, yeah, because um, the stress and like, I think like the anxiety has gotten a little bit less over the years, but my condition and like my, like, my, like, my like, annoyance of noises ha- just keeps on getting worse and worse and worse mm. throughout the years.
0: Yeah. And, and those things, sometimes people have it um, and it doesn't necessarily go away completely. It can. Uh, for me, I would really want you and your both of your parents, but especially with your mom to have some conversations. I always try to encourage people because I think most relationships have some conversations that haven't been had that would actually make things a lot better for both people in the relationship. So I think it's worth you and her talking and for you even thinking about some of the things you went through, I get the sense your mom, she cares a lot, but sometimes shows that care too much in a way that puts puts it onto you, that anxiety. So you get a bad grade and she might worry which you know a parents going to notice that but she worries so much and then dumps that anxiety onto you and then now you have to carry it and that's not good and it's not going to work so i hope you and her can talk and she um is listening i'm sure will listen later so i hope you and her will sit and talk about what's happened in the past the relationship the pressure she's put on you and my focus isn't to blame her blame your dad or blame you Blame doesn't really get us very far, but it's important to try to understand what's happened, to see what's happened, to try to work some of that out, and try to also create a different future going forward. I'm glad you're saying overall you think your anxiety has gotten less in the recent years, although this specific um, feeling about being sensitive to sounds and noises, whispering, things like that has gotten worse over the past two years. But uh, I'd like for your relationship with her hopefully to get better and become less a way of pressure. And even this slouching thing you've brought up a few times, it just sounds like, in one hand, I'm imagining you with all this pressure on you slouching, not that I'm saying you have to walk that way, but it could be, you know, the way related to that in a metaphorical type of a way. But then being told constantly, stand this way, stand this way. It's this very judgmental, negative thing that it seems like might be part of how your mom is trying to help you but i think instead is hurting you I-, I tell parents sometimes that by putting pressure on your kids rather than pushing them forward you're crushing them and pushing them down and my concern is that there's too much pressure on your shoulders which even if you physically don't slouch emotionally will make you slouch i understand yeah
1: yeah yeah, yeah i understand yeah i'll definitely yeah talk to my parents about this like to see like yeah you know what kind of like if any like changes We can make or like, yeah, we can discuss this. Yeah. And I'll definitely take into mind everything you said today.
0: Well, I hope you will. And I really enjoyed talking to you and I hope you will talk to them. Um, And I'm glad the anxiety has gotten less. This issue, people do deal with it. You can even, I'm sure you've looked it up online. There's lots of resources. Even for some people, it doesn't fully go away. It can become better. Usually what happens is if you're feeling anxious or stressed, it's going to be worse. If you're feeling more calm you won't feel it as much or think about it as much. So you might notice that as well. Um, But one thing is try not to blame yourself for these things you feel. I felt it in some of what you said, and most people do that. They blame themselves. Why do I worry about this? Why am I sensitive to these things? Um, I can understand it's distressing and not pleasant to feel those things, but I don't want you to blame yourself for something that is virtually out of your control in that moment. So it's not like you choose to be annoyed by something or choose to be sensitive but it's just happening to you. And I hope your parents won't also give you that feeling too, that it's your fault or to blame you for it, but to recognize it's a challenge that you're dealing with.
1: I see. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for like this. I really appreciate it. Oh,
0: thank you for calling. I hope your mom did listen. I hope you guys get to listen to each other a little bit more and have some talks, but thank you for calling.
1: Okay. All right. Goodbye.
0: Take care. Bye. It was very nice talking with that young lady. I wish her the best and hope Um, they do have some conversations. And I mentioned to her something that I think is so important for people to keep in mind. And I uh, talked about this a few weeks ago when I was talking about Franz Kafka's book, which is really a letter, letter to the father that he wrote um, that really never was delivered to him. But this reminder that in virtually every relationship, there's a lot of conversations that we're avoiding Maybe sometimes we're not even aware we're avoiding them, but things that we need to talk about, we need to address, but we tend to avoid them because they're uncomfortable conversations, they make us anxious, we're worried about the response of the other person, we're worried it's gonna make things worse. A whole bunch of reasons why we avoid the uncomfortable, we avoid something that we don't know the result, we avoid something that's gonna bring up feelings, and so we choose to just pretend like it's not there. But the relationships suffer, the relationships don't get to grow at the very least, but even suffer because of those unhad conversations and they tend to make us drift further apart. And so in order to maintain a close relationship with anyone, we have to be willing to face and have uncomfortable conversations Um, in all relationships, but especially when it comes to romantic relationships, really you can't keep it healthy and happy and strong without having some uncomfortable conversations where you talk about things you might not be happy about in the relationship, feelings you're having, feelings of being hurt by your partner, even if they're minor, different things of that sort, and bigger things, just being unhappy in the relationship, unhappy about the communication, whatever it might be. But there's always these things that unfortunately we avoid, but that hurt the relationship because we avoid them. And we have to take that courage and take that step to initiate those conversations in order to keep our relationships going. And again, I hope they will have some of those conversations. And if you're listening, I hope you'll think about people in your life and try to initiate some of those difficult but meaningful conversations as well. All right, we've reached the end of tonight's show. Thank you to our caller there and to Amir here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. Have a wonderful night.